Welcome to Honest Conversations in Black and White. I'm Virgil Walker. I'm here with Scott Annual. Uh, excited for another edition of the podcast. And this is black and white, right? And one of the things that we do, and I know folks are going to see me and you and go, oh, black guy, white guy, right? That's going to be their automatic. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. But that's not what's, hopefully they'll look at what's behind us. That's right. And they'll see that there's writing and, you know, black and white, the paper. Skin color is literally skin deep. Yeah. There's nothing absolutely. really to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This is about ideas. Thank you. Brother, come on, somebody. <laughs> So, so we we are we we're here excited to talk to you. I'm excited to unpack this article um, that that you wrote, Scott, a little over a year ago. It has been by far, by far. There's not even a close second. One of the most read articles that are that that's on, uh, you know, the uh, the G3 um, website. Yeah. Uh, with our with our blog articles, uh, I'm excited because of well, I've got a number of reasons to be excited about this. One, I think I, I think our audience is going to really enjoy this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, two. Uh, this is this is kind of personal to me. Yeah, yeah. I've got a little bit of a background from a you know from a, a worship kind of kind of uh, black gospel mm-hmm. kind of experiential uh, more emotive uh, uh, process about worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now that I've come here to Praise Mill, you're here. Uh, you know, our our, our pastor uh, Matt Sykes is here. Uh, you guys have a totally different thought process about that, and and a lot of what those ideas really culminated in this article. Right. And so it's with that, by way of introduction, not giving too much away, um, that, that I want you to kind of let, let the folks know what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So this is good because really, I mean, really, this is, we're, we're letting people listen in to conversations we have. Yes, absolutely. You know, just, just in the office. Yeah. Yeah. So this article, the, there's actually three articles, but the first one is Stop, uh, stop Singing Hillsong, uh, Bethel, and elevation, mm-hmm. and uh, it and Jesus calling those kind of all all those groups combined together yep. uh, dropped end of February last year, and you know I knew it would probably stir some things up, but it like you said it's been the most read article yeah. on most days still to this day. I just checked stats for yesterday, and it was the top article yesterday. Wow! So it's still you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people reading it, um, and of course a lot of people. Because they agree, and we're sharing it. A lot of a lot of people because they disagree, disagree, right? Yeah. And I think even there's two levels of disagreement, which we might get into a little bit too. Um, some people who think that they know what I was saying and disagreed, and some who actually got what I was saying, and they they were some of the most like, you know, vehemently a- against it. So, yeah. so let me just summarize a little bit. I you know I don't even remember what the impetus was. You know, a lot of a lot of good reform people talk about the dangers of Hillsong Bethel, right? Jesus these, these groups, particularly because of the theology, right? And uh, and warn churches against using their music mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Our good friend Justin Peters does this really well. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of good good guys who do this, and usually the primary arguments revolve around these are heretical groups these are dangerous groups so by singing their music even if the lyrics of the music happen to be theologically accurate in in certain cases right. so there are certain songs you actually look at what they say and you think well that's actually aberrant theology okay right. so clearly we should avoid singing those right, right. but again even guys like Justin and, and others of our friends and I agree with them completely will warn against even singing the songs with good lyrics because we are funding heretical dangerous groups right. and or we might cause people under our care to stumble because right. they might see us as advocating for those groups you know so uh those are all good arguments right. i agree completely i was actually taking a step further mm-hmm. in the argument of my article and i just remember uh 
thinking one day, maybe because I saw somebody making that sort of argument, thinking, I agree 100%, but man, I really think there's more to say here. Right. And so I just decided to sit down and write this article. One of the things, I want to interrupt you here, <coughs> yeah. because one of the things that you did in the article, which I thought was actually brilliant, in fact, it was the first thing that caught my attention was uh, the, the, the way that you laid out even those arguments. Like right. you didn't- Just kind of you, summarize Yeah, them. you didn't take a, you didn't take the time <laughs> to unpack all the reasons why, and, and you know, uh, Justin or, 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 or others would say, hey- Let's not follow it because of the aberrant theology. Let's not follow it because of, you know, you're following. You, you, you took the, you, you kind of summarized those points mm-hmm. and then left the majority of your article right. for how you wanted to lay out. I'm big out. on economy of words. You, yeah, brother. I mean, you, you mentioned I'm a moment learning. ago off, off recording. It's not a short article, but. No, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I was it's trying not. To, yeah. Trying to get but, right but, to the, but, right but the I, point. I, yeah. I, thought, I thought that was brilliant because it, for some who have absolutely no idea yeah. about those arguments, it at least laid out some some ideas that they could begin thinking about, maybe hanging their hat on. Right. Your your argument, I think, was more theologically grounded. Uh, it had more to do with, with and, and you'll forgive me if I say some of these uh, some, some of these concepts wrongly, but more of a philosophy around worship, uh, a theology exactly. around worship. You know, mm-hmm. those kinds of ideas that I that had not, I think, to the point. Uh, that, that I've read, to any, any degree that I've read, uh, really been addressed. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm unaware of anyone who's made exactly the sort of argument that I've made. And, it, and it's essentially this, that the music itself, and, and this is where some, you know, some people just don't get what I'm saying because they hear music, they think lyrics. And right. I'm, not even, I'm not even talking about the lyrics. Let's okay. set the lyrics aside for a second. Okay. The music itself of these groups embodies a certain theology of worship that I believe to be aberrant and dangerous. Uh, well, and I'll just put it this way. It is a Pentecostal theology of worship. So I'm, I'm real quick to say in this article and the, the, the two follow-ups, I, I'm writing to a Reformed audience, right? right? I'm, not, I'm not, you know, if, if someone is Pentecostal, I would expect them to worship in a way in a with music way. that embodies the Pentecostal music. Right. I disagree with it. I think it's wrong and, and, and you know, bad theology. Uh, but my and you you know this because um, because this came up even in your endorse, endorsement of my book yeah. uh, Biblical Foundations of Corporate Worship one of my biggest burdens is for good sound theologians pastors people churches who are reformed meaning they want to reform everything about their ministry according to right, scripture right. and they've done so in the realm of soteriology right. and ecclesiology right. in so many areas worship seems to be kind of the last thing to get reformed. Yeah. And in particular, even in a church that might reform their worship in terms of the regulative principle and making sure that they're getting rid of the puppet shows and the extra biblical stuff, right. they've got all the elements. They may, may even have a sense of reverence, expositional preaching. Even there then, music is like the last thing. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, that's one of my areas of, of education, yeah. expertise, and yeah. teaching. And so I'm really burdened to help people think biblically and theologically about what they're doing in worship, and particularly the music that they're using in worship. I, I want to go back to two things. One is that I, I totally agree with you. As I travel, get, get the opportunity to speak in different churches and different spaces and places, and I go to uh, you know, so-and-so's Reformed Church or what right. have you, and, and we begin kind of seeing what they're saying and listening to what they're saying. I think all of the areas that you mentioned are absolutely Reformed. Their soteriology is Reformed. Uh, their, their thought process about, about, the, about expository preaching is Reformed. But what you, what you end up coming into conversation contact with is much more of a um, Pentecostal or at least a, or I, I, I would probably lighten it and say at least a charismatic approach right. 
to praise and worship. Right. Uh, and, and it's out of balance. That's exactly uh, right. And, and again, I, I don't think, truth be told, I don't know that I would have had that kind of a, uh, an, an eye-opening experience, an understanding of, of the conflict that was there uh, until the point, A, that I read the, the book that you wrote about, mm-hmm. about the subject matter, and B, uh, attended, you know, Praise Mill. Right. And, uh, and, and had Matt Sykes really kind of discipling that as a, as a part of the process. Here, here's how, to, how you should think about these issues. And so right. a, a big part of that for me was, was eye-opening. The, the thing that I, that, I, that I often say is, you guys absolutely ruined me, though. So, like, every, <laughs> everywhere I go yeah. now, when I see that, that absolute disconnect, it's, <laughs> it's problematic for yeah. me. Uh, I'm like, man, how, how are they not seeing these connection points? Right, right. Um, so all of those things. I, I want to. The other thing I wanted to go back to was you mentioned two things that I think you and I and others take for granted uh, that people actually understand, and, and that is the you use the word the regulative principle. Mm-hmm. I think people may. I mean, there, there may be a large part of our audience who gets that, knows that, yeah. understands that. But for those who don't or who may have heard the word or the terminology for the first time, maybe explain the difference between what a normative principle is. Yeah, and absolutely. Regulative principle. Yeah, this is good because it'll flow right in to our conversation too, because the goal here is fidelity to scripture. Mm-hmm. So the regulative principle says, whatever is not prescribed for worship in the scriptures is then therefore uh, prohibited for us to do. So we want to trust the sufficiency of the word. We want to limit what we do in the corporate worship service to what has been clearly prescribed for us for the New Testament uh, church. And I believe this is a biblical principle. It's not the purpose of this episode to lay that out, but it's also a historical principle principle within the Reformed tradition, right. Calvin, the Puritans, Reformed Baptists, particular Baptists in, in the 18th century. And so here, too, is where you know I'm, I'm writing and speaking to people who value that theology, right. value that tradition, and I'm trying to help them see, okay, what is the connection now to our theology of worship and our music? Right. The opposite position, which would characterize groups like Lutherans and Anglicans, the normative principle says if whatever is not forbidden is therefore permissible. Right, and so this in, in those traditions, you know, Luther, for example, he wasn't trying to invent all sorts of new things. He just said we can retain some of the traditions that have developed in the Middle Ages. Maybe they're not prescribed, but we can still do them because they don't, you know, they're they're not forbidden in Scripture. Right, right, so right. vestments and candles and and you know incense and these sorts of things, right. and smells, then smells and bells, and smells and bells, yeah. <laughs> and then you really have you know even beyond that, and people call it different. I think Josh calls it the inventive principle of worship. I, I call it the effective principle of worship which really has come to dominate a lot of like post-Charles Finney evangelicalism, Mm -hmm. which is like whatever will accomplish what we're trying to do, we can do, right? Right. So that's the seeker movement, et cetera. So what I'm saying is, you know, here we are reformed people who who believe in the regulative principle. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how ought that actually impact our theology of worship and even the music that we use in our worship? That's really undergirding the whole thing of this conversation, there's so many places that that I want to go based upon what uh, <clears throat> upon what you said because in in your article you kind of unpack both the the Pentecostalization mm-hmm. of evangelical worship. You talk about the kind of kind of this dichotomy, if you will, of of praise on the one hand and then the idea of worship on the other. And and I know I want you to unpack that. The other thing that's going through my mind is is what you mentioned about about music, the theology yeah. of music. And so all of those things are kind of in, in, in my mind. I, I don't know how you want to, how you want to address yeah. those. No, that's good. So you, I mean, you nailed the two key issues that people have to really grasp in order to understand my argument. Mm-hmm. Cause again, I'm arguing that 
I don't want to use that music because the music itself embodies a Pentecostal theology of worship. So there's two things. Music embodies. How does it do that? A lot of people don't understand how it does that. And then what is a Pentecostal theology of worship? And before I get into that just real quickly— I mentioned earlier there were sort of two two negative responses. Again, a lot of positive responses. To this day, I get people who say, "Oh, that was so helpful," and mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. But but there were some negative responses. Just too, a few. Know, just, just a few. A few yeah. um, and two, <laughs> you know, one is people who just like Hillsong, and they were just mad that I sure I was. In fact, a lot of them thought probably without even actually reading the article, that I was just making the same arguments about association and funding heretical groups, right, which, right. again, I agree that is enough to not use the music. Right. But that's not what I was arguing. I, I end the, the first article by sort of you know asking the rhetorical question and saying, wait, but isn't other contemporary music, doesn't yes. it also have the same problem? Yes. And then I respond by saying, Yes, yes, it does. Yeah. And I just kind of leave it there. Right. And there were some people who got what I was saying. Mm-hmm. Because what I'm saying is you shouldn't use Hillsong, Bethel, Jesus people because it embodies Pentecostal theology. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of other contemporary worship music that doesn't have the same associational baggage as those groups, mm-hmm. but it too embodies Pentecostal theology. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the problem. Yeah. Okay, so what do I mean by, by Pentecostalization? Yeah. And here's where I brought a couple books. This is black and white, right? We want yep. to recommend books. Absolutely. Um, what I think would be really helpful for folks, there's two books written by uh, Sui Hong Lim and Lester Ruth. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys are, are the top sort of historians of the contemporary worship phenomenon. Gotcha. They're not critics of the movement. They're simply trying to historically document where did where did contemporary worship come from. Mm-hmm. And these are excellent books. The most readable for someone who wants an introduction, Loving on Jesus, A Concise History of Contemporary Worship, mm-hmm. uh, is very good. And then their more recent book, which is a little longer, but actually I like in a sense better. I think they, they streamline sort of the historical argument better is a history of contemporary praise and worship, understanding the ideas that reshaped the Protestant church. Gotcha. And what's really helpful, they, they in these books, they show that if you look at the, the contemporary worship phenomenon today, so that includes Hillsong, Bethel, Jesus culture, but it includes so much more, of course. It has two roots. And and first of all, we should we should say, you know, what they what they point out is that it's it is new. Yeah. You can't make the argument that how we're worshiping the contemporary worship scene is just, you know, it's just things change over time and now this is what we're doing. No, it is a new phenomenon. And even these men who are not critics would say it is a new theology. It is a new theology of worship. And what they point out is that there's really two streams. They make this in the larger book really clearly. Uh, On the one hand is is Pentecostal theology. Uh, Pentecostal theology fueled the rise and really creation of contemporary worship, praise and worship. And then the other is the church growth seeker movement, which came after and really looked at what was happening in the Pentecostal praise and worship movement and said, wow, that's exciting. We can get people to come in. And so adopted the Pentecostal worship in order to be attractant to people. And so now we have, you mentioned this earlier, I mean, most of evangelicalism, Mm -hmm. regardless of their theology on their doctrinal statement, regardless if they're more Arminian or Calvinist, you know, regardless of the tradition, 
they they worship like Pentecostals, yeah. and it's largely because of the influence of the church growth movement and, and Pentecostalism. And so what we're what we're finding then is that we have this this Pentecostalization of modern evangelical worship. Okay, and the underlying theology says this: literally, they view music as a sacrament. They even say that. Music is a sacrament, meaning it is music that ushers us into the presence of God. And they'll say it one or two ways. Either music is what ushers us into heaven, or music is what brings God down. Either way, it ties how we interpret the presence of God to some sort of tangible, physical, felt experience. Wow. So in the obviously in the more extreme forms of Pentecostalism, that's tongues, healing, slaying in the spirit, holy laughter, glory dust, Bethel, you know, these sorts of extreme phenomena. Right, right. Of course, more reformed or even, you know, cessationist evangelicals who don't buy into that extreme form, still nevertheless for them, it is a feeling. It's an atmosphere. It's something tangible. And if I go to a worship service and I don't feel that, right, then I don't think that God showed up, right? And and it and, and it's there's sort of a, a letdown, right? I don't feel like I've had that experience, and so this music, what what I'm trying to show, and again, I'm not, I I am a critic, but even those who are not a critic acknowledge this. This music is designed to create those sorts of experiences, right. which then are interpreted interpreted to be the very presence of God. Okay, I got to stop you here because there's there's a yeah. bunch I want to I want to unpack with that. First, first of all, I I, I totally get that. I mean, I, I I can't remember how many times I've been in a, a a Pentecostal environment where we sang about you know the Spirit falling down on us or or, right. or send your fire down, and of yeah. course we didn't know that fire was usually the it's judgment of God. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. you don't you don't, you don't want, want the fire, the fire of God to fall down. <laughs> Because you're going to be consumed, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Right? So, so I and and I and and I think you're you're spot on with if if the, if Sister Sally was in the was in the Black Gospel Choir and she didn't sing hard enough for her wig to almost come falling <laughs> off, you know, the spirit wasn't wasn't moving that day, right? Right? And so I mean, I mean, I, I say those all tongue in cheek, but that that was very much a part of kind of black church experience. Yeah. Uh, I, I recognize that it is not it is not unique. To right. the black church, right. uh, but that was that was how I experienced it. Yeah. You know that, that you know we had. Uh, I, I went to a, a a church called Higher Dimensions Evangelistic Center. Right, I, I don't know too many churches named an evangelistic center, <laughs> right. but that's that's where I went. And and mm-hmm. Sunday after Sunday, uh, this was a, a church uh, pastored by a man by the name of Carlton Pearson, who's who's now an apostate. Uh, but at the same time, I remember driving up to the the church and and and. Uh, out in the parking lot, this place filled up about four thousand people, mm. and they had a they had a hundred piece choir, hundred voices, uh, and then folks on the microphone. You could hear the church building just shaking from the outside. Right. Uh, and if you didn't feel, I mean, there, there was a, there was an atmosphere yeah. that was created so that when you walked in, I mean, by, by the time you opened the door, I mean, the the choir was blowing the doors off, uh, and so you 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 jumped into kind of that experience. And so I, I totally get that. It, it, unfortunately, and, and I know this to be true because of, of, of my experience of it, th- theologically speaking, there wasn't a great deal of depth. Right. Uh, there was a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there was there was a lot of experience. Uh, and, and we connected that experience and that feeling to our, the, the presence of God was here. Right. 
And so I totally get what you're saying there. Here, here's here's the pushback yeah. uh, because I, and I know you hear it. Well, 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 Scott, you just you just don't want people to feel anything, right? Like you, you just don't. You want people to be all dried up and quiet and kind of mousy and you know looking straight ahead. Mm-hmm. Not you know they they, they can't they, they if, if they get an emotion they better they better quell that emotion mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's that's dangerous. Yeah. You know. So how, how do you how do you deal with that yeah. that piece? Yeah, of it? it's good. So this this gives us an opportunity to to first talk about the alternative. Like if we're talking about the Pentecostal theology, what's the alternative? And then I'll specifically address that question. But let me set it up first. So, and I, I follow one of my, I, there's two follow-up articles to the original article to flesh this out. I kind of make the, the large case when I realized there was so much interest right. and even, again, honest people asking questions yep. like this. Yep. You know, yep. you get the haters, but then you get people asking honest questions. Right. And I, when someone asks an honest question, I always want to help them understand. So in one of the follow-up articles, then I lay out these two theologies of worship. And this is a little bit of broad brushing. I think there are other you know, theologies of worship, but these are, I think, are the two most dominant. You have your Pentecostal theology, which I talked about a moment ago, where where they they you know in their in their writing they say our goal is to have this experience of the presence of God, and in order to get that, we have to arrange the service with the music in a certain flow right. that progresses from praise, right. which is exciting and and gets the attention and loud to and yes. I'm I'm guessing the yes. churches you were in would get here. Yes, they would. You get to this sort of in, intimate holy hush. Yeah. that's worship. Yeah, but you in order to get to that, you got to start here. Yeah, and the high and the high the higher the praise, right? The more intense, the deeper, the deeper and, intense, the, 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 right. and then the you sustain was. that as long. Long as, as you, you possibly can, can. yeah, and it, it would go. It, I mean, that that was where you had church, right. like that was church was had once that whole experience took place, right? And then and then kind of the icing on the cake was however long the pastor would preach, right? You know, right. and 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 he even would would end the service if he was good, uh, with with getting with, you back into getting that. you back into that right, right, that right, flow right, right before you headed yeah. out the door. So, yeah, yeah. So that's that's Pentecostal theology. The 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 alternative theology is what I would call covenant renewal theology. That's what. We do here at Praise Mill, and that's you know just to shamelessly plug books. Um, you know, Biblical Foundations of Corporate Worship is yep. a good introduction to that. Another really good book that introduces this sort of covenant theology, uh, covenant renewal theology of worship. What happens when we worship by Jonathan Landry Cruz, published by RHB, and then a longer treatment. This is you know this is my book, uh, Change from Glory into Glory: The Liturgical Story of the Christian Faith. Mm-hmm traces the history of worship from the Old Testament all the way through the present and mm-hmm. shows both how we got to the Pentecostalization of worship, but also the the historic biblical theology of covenant renewal. Yeah. I want to, I want to say one thing about your book, not, not that one, the, the smaller, the smaller yeah, yeah. treatment, uh, because I had, I had a chance to, I had a chance to read this. I'm going to show this to, to the audience if they haven't had a, had a chance to check this out. If, if you have questions about, about what we're talking about, this is a wonderful introductory. Mm-hmm. I think when I, when I first came here to, to praise mill and again, my background went from that kind of crazy hype praise right. to more of a kind of an SBC experience, more praise band. And, yeah. and so the, better Theology, but still the Pentecostal but still, worship. But still right? the Pentecostal, not as crazy, not as, but, not as, yeah, yeah, not as not as off the chain. But but but, and then coming here, my my initial thought, Scott, I'll be honest with you, was how's my wife, who's been used to, yeah. you know, something a lot more expressive and dramatic. How is she going to? How how are we as a family? going to conform now to this more reverent approach, Mm -hmm. uh, a very much more thoughtful approach, a gospel-centered approach Mm -hmm. uh, to to worship. What is that going to be? You know, how how is that going to frame itself? And and so we just, we just, we jumped in. I didn't have your book at that point. Mm -hmm. We we jumped in and, and began to recognize how, how it shaped us. 
uh, how we thought differently about what we're singing. We now had categories for if, if, if this is the style of music you're going to listen to, that's fine, but that's not what we would use on a Sunday morning mm-hmm. for the purpose of, of, you know, of worship. Um, this book was incredibly helpful for me to, to, and, and it was a, a brief treatment to provide those categories and a thought process for that. So I just want to recommend, yeah, so, so that you, you don't have to plug your own book. Oh, I, I'll no, recommend oh, the book yeah, there. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. You, you gave me a nice endorsement. I did, too, man. I nice. did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Virgil Walker endorses the hey, book. Now, that's a, that's now, a big oh, now, deal. Now it's going to sell, yeah, right? Right. <laughs> you, you saw it in your bank account, right? Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Good looking out. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, covenant covenant renewal, renewal worship. What is that? Covenant Renewal Worship says we we come to a worship service not just to have an experience, right. although I mean we have an experience, right? Not just to feel emotion, although you're going to feel emotion, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what you were addressing. So I'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not coming to evangelize, although you know God-centered worship is evangelistic. Absolutely. Now we are coming as God's covenant people, people whom God has made promises to through the gospel, and we have made promises in response. We are coming to renew that covenant relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And we do that through the gospel. Mm-hmm. The gospel is not just something that saves us and then we set it aside and right. don't need it anymore. Right. No, by by renewing ourselves in the gospel regularly, we we are sanctified, we are matured, we grow in our in our faith, and we begin to lay aside, you know, this the sins of the world and the flesh. Uh, through you know through certainly our personal Bible study and prayer and all those wonderful means of grace, but primarily through the church on the Lord's Day in corporate worship, mm-hmm. and then what that looks like is the shape of the service is the shape of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you begin with a call to worship and a confession of sins and a declaration of pardon in the gospel, and then the sermon, and then climaxing with the Lord's table, right. and then a commission sending out. And week after week, that shapes us. And along with that, then, what's the role of music? Well, really, music in a covenant renewal theology of worship, again, in contrast to a Pentecostal theology, music serves one of two roles. Either it is it is it serves as God's word to us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a covenant renewal service, what you have is a dialogue that takes place in the service. The service begins with God speaking. Mm-hmm. We respond to him. God speaks, we respond. The whole service is this back-and-forth conversation. And where does God speak? God speaks through his word. So there's a lot of scripture reading, right? So people coming from a typical Pentecostalized worship, they come to a service like ours, and they probably see it as kind of boring and dry Mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. The music is probably part of it, but there's a long scripture readings too. I've had students tell me, who maybe were like worship pastors in their church that they 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 went back after taking a class of mine and wanted to introduce more scripture reading and their pastor said nah, it 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 breaks the flow right scripture right. breaks the flow right. you know right. so uh, I, I had that response though when really? I mean, coming come to the church yeah. here uh, man they're reading a lot of scripture like they yeah. just do you know he just read a whole chapter <laughs> right. like are you kidding me right now <laughs> exactly so that that was kind of my response and then and then I had to begin asking myself why is that? Pro- why would why would I respond in a way that that would be problematic? Right. And then I had to think because I'm I'm used to I'm accustomed to something very different. Mm-hmm. Now, if 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 the word if the word of God is 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 preeminent is, is important it has has its rightful place in my life I should I should come to a service and enjoy hearing God's word read. Right. Uh, so that was different. And 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 it's it plays out theologically, too, with the difference with Pentecostal worship. In Pentecostal worship, we come and we invite God to come. Right. You alluded to this earlier. Yes. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Yeah. Or come down, send your fire, whatever. Yes, yes. In covenant renewal worship, we recognize it is God who invites us. Mm. 
So there's got to be scripture. It begins with a call to worship from God's word, and there's lots of scripture. And then even with then our music, one of the functions of music in the context of covenant renewal, covenant renewal worship uh, is God's word to us, whether we're singing a psalm or even if we're singing a theologically rich hymn that embodies biblical theology, God speaking his word to us. Or the other function then is our response to God's word. So that half of the dialogue. Uh, so even there, it could be a psalm because plenty of the psalms are our, you know, us speaking back to God. Mm-hmm. Or it could be something newly written in which we are expressing thanks or contrition or praise or whatever. Uh, and so it 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 serves a particular function within that gospel shape shaped dialogue of covenant renewal worship. But really, in covenant renewal theology of worship, the music itself serves a, a secondary role. In Pentecostal worship. The music is so important. Yeah, it is. Because if you don't have that music doing what it's supposed to do, you don't get the presence of God. And right. In fact, another point that Lester Ruth and Sui Hong Lim makes is that contemporary worship unplugged is not itself. Mm-mm. You need electricity. Mm-hmm. You need the lights. In some cases, the smoke. You need the amps, etc. You can't. You can't do Pentecostal worship without that, which actually we saw happen during covid it really flew uh, through a lot of churches for a loop yeah. where they felt like we've got to go into the into the church auditorium and record the full production. Otherwise, people are not going to experience God's presence. Right. Whereas with covenant right. renewal worship, you can be in a catacomb right. with your Bible, right. and that's all you need. Right. right. So if you've got instruments, I'm not against instruments. They can be great. They can help to, to, to encourage and uh, support congregational singing. But, but the music itself is really secondary and— Theologians and pastors advocating, again, historically, especially within the Reformed tradition of covenant renewal worship, have always expressed a caution about the manipulative power of music. Music is commanded by God. I believe we can use instruments, but we've got to be careful because of the tendency that we have of interpreting a feeling to be the presence of God or to be the essence of worship. So I think we do need to be careful. Now, to get – that was a really long lead-up to an answer to your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. get to the issue of emotion, <clears throat> emotions are not bad, right? We are, we're not Gnostics. The body is good. God has given us our bodies. Right. God has given us emotion. And people are wired differently. Some people are more extroverted. Some right. people people are more introverted. Right. You know, I come in and kind of sneak into my office. You come in and hey, hey, hey. You know, <laughs> uh, we're just different. We're yeah. wired differently. There's, right, right, right. Neither of those is bad or good, better, right. better or worse. Right. But when it comes to worship, um, again, we've got to be careful that we're not defining the essence of what it means to worship as something physical, tangible, and expressive. Mm. And not only that, and here's how I would respond to somebody who says, well, you know, can't we be expressive? Do we right. really have to, you know, right. to control ourselves? Right. Well, I would say, well, let's look, at, let's look at the scriptures and how the Bible describes spiritual maturity. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just take the New, New Testament texts that describe what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. You don't find descriptions of let it all hang out, right? You know, which is what we hear today. Like, if you're really committed for God, right, you're gonna you're gonna be just, you know, not uninhibited, right? Is the language, right? You know, sloppy wet kiss, mm-hmm. 
Um, I read a book years ago, a little book by Matt Redman, and he's like comparing how we should be to, to how when he gets home, his dog runs up to him, jumps on him, and slobbers all over his face. Right. He's like, we ought to have that kind of passion for God. Is that, is that how Scripture describes spiritual maturity in our relationship with God? No. It describes us with terms like <clears throat> sobriety, mm-hmm. self-control. Mm-hmm. People hear that, oh, you're, you're fuddy-duddy. Well, this is the, this is the Bible. Right. This is how the Bible describes right. I mean, I have open here uh, Titus chapter 2, mm-hmm. which I quote in one of the articles where Paul says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine and listen to the kind of characteristics of what accords with sound doctrine. Yes. Sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Older women, reverent in behavior, uh, um, self-controlled, pure. You know these these kinds of language uh, uh, descriptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the fruit of the spirit, right? You know, right. people say, "Well, you don't believe in the, in the in the Holy Spirit." Well, what's the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, gentleness, self-control. Right. So our worship ought to encourage those qualities, not let it all hang out, certainly not the kinds of things you see in the extreme forms of, of Pentecostalism, the, right. the laughter and the, right. the, the, the writhing. Right. But again, even in the more restrained uh, sorts of worship contexts, our worship ought to be reverent because God is worthy of that, but it also ought to be reverent because we want to form reverence within us. We yeah. want to form self-control and dignity uh, and those sorts of things. So while emotion's not bad, um, it, it's actually, we, we, we have a very limited view of what emotion is. Right. Emotion is more than just these surface-level intense feelings. Right. I, w- I would argue, and I experience this personally myself, that covenant renewal, reverent, Bible-saturated, gospel-centered, dialogical worship is profoundly emotional. Mm-hmm. Those emotions are not as flashy, they're not as visceral, but they're actually deeper and longer lasting. Yeah, yeah. I, there's a nut, man, there's so much ground that you covered in, in, in that, that segment. I. Th- I had a million thoughts, so try not to interrupt your your your, your pattern. <laughs> the first thought I had was as it relates to kind of uh, what you talked about that that music embodies theology. Yeah. I, I thought about like what what do, you, what do you mean? Does that mean like uh, a C note is a there's a Jesus version of a C note, and right. then there's a demonic version of right, a C right, note? Right. Like is that is that what's happening? Or yeah. you know what what does that what does that mean? Like how do you how do you figure out what what those pieces of the puzzle are? The other thing that I thought is especially where you where you ended, uh, I, I I totally agree with you. I think um, that that rich theology and a clear understanding. Of, of what God has done, of, of his majesty, of, of his magnificence, of his sovereignty. When you hear that saying, it, 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 it should, if, if you're a believer in Christ, there should be some emotional response. Yeah. I think the difference is the, the idea that, especially in a, in a Pentecostal expression or experience, it's the idea that if I don't feel that, then God didn't come down right. or God didn't show up yeah. uh, or that there was something that was missed. Whether I felt it or not, God is still God. Right. Absolutely. And so that, that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the other piece of it. The, 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 other, the other facet that, that I thought about was, was my experience in, in worship with, with you. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a loud, kind of boisterous kind of guy. I'm going to come in and be a little bit louder. Uh, but, and, and that may be my natural inclination in one setting. But when I come into our worship service, 
it, I'm not, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not there to be the loud, boisterous, gregarious. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind to everybody, right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, 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 but at the point that there's a call to worship, yeah. uh, it's, it's about, it's about us as, right. as the church. It's right. not about my individual expression. Yeah. And the instrument that I think about is, uh, that, that's, that's beautiful now to me more than it ever has been before is listening to, to the people of God singing. That's right. Now, mm-hmm. uh, now when I go somewhere, I'm looking for not not did the band tune up because at the places I was at, the the the, the musicians were phenomenal. Right. Like they were, and they had to be mm-hmm. right. They 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 yeah. had to they had to be able to pick up. If they don't, God doesn't show up. God doesn't show up. <laughs> not to mention, like they could hear. I mean, they could hear someone. There could be a brand new song that just hit the the uh, you know the the, the charts uh, the, that week, mm-hmm. and these guys on a dime could turn it and play the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were phenomenal right, musicians, right. but uh, they had to be in order to be in that in that space. Yeah. Whereas here uh, on Sunday morning, I'm looking for how how many of God's people can I hear vocally, voices gathering together as as we worship God. Yeah. So it's it's a totally different, yeah, and the really instruments good. take a second to play a secondary role. Right. They're supportive to the singing. Yeah, they're supportive to that. Yeah. And any of that that you want. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll get to the music in a moment because that's what everyone wants to talk about, and it's really important. Uh, just a couple comments with what you said. Number one, you made a really good point, um, and that is what is always natural to us mm-hmm. is not always necessarily fitting or suitable for corporate worship. Right. And so part of it might be, you know, do we do I have to restrain myself? Maybe, right? Right. Just because yeah, it's not always that. appropriate. Yeah, people don't the other that. really important point you made was the corporate nature, right? And, and let me connect that with the issue of physical expressiveness, mm-hmm. for example. Mm. So everybody wants to talk about raising hands, right? right? Um, I, I would never say raising hands is demonic and evil, and if you do that, you're a sinner, right? right? Okay. You better not my, speak of mine have something Yeah, there you, you go. <laughs> <laughs> my, my concern with how hand-raising is typically done, again, in modern evangelical Pentecostalized context, because mm-hmm. this is not how Christians have always done it. My concern is is that it's a very individualistic sort of thing. That's, yeah. You, you, if, it, you, you if it's ta- a you corporate thing, yeah. I'm, I've got friends— who in their churches every Lord's Day in their corporate worship service, they sing the doxology, and the entire congregation together lifts their hands. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's corporate. If there's a if there's a obeying the biblical model of raising hands, mm-hmm. that's it. Because it's not the music is ramping up, I'm feeling something intense, whoosh, hands go up. Gotcha. It is I'm I'm the hands go up first. It's it's a mind thing. Mm-hmm. I am doing something physically, physically, physically with my body right. that expresses maybe my need for the Lord or my desire to honor Him. We're doing it all corporately. It's not getting worked up because of some sort of emotional, wow. individualized, you know, experience. Right, right. So, so that that connects those two dots. Now, music. This is a hard thing for a lot of people because. In our modern day and age, music has been relegated to just sort of secondary entertainment in schools, extracurricular. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the past, you know, in the in the you know in the in the early church, Middle Ages, even on the Reformation, people at least understood the basics of how music worked. Right. They were taught that. Right. Martin Luther himself said he wouldn't ordain a man to ministry who didn't know music mm-hmm. because it was so because it was so important. But it was taught in sort of this classical 
way of, of educating. Right. In our day and age, it's not. And so people have a hard time. This is this is the biggest stumbling block. How 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 does music actually do that? Right. So there's a number of things we can talk about, and we don't have, you know, I wouldn't take a lot of time, but here's just a couple ways that might be helpful for folks. I think it's important to recognize that music is really simply an intensification of natural human expression. Mm. We naturally express ourselves through body language and vocal inflection. Right. Mu- music is really not much different than that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we if we think about these characteristics that I mentioned in in the New Testament that describe maturity, sobriety, reverence, self-controlled dignity, we all know that there are certain ways of behavior right. that that embody those right. characteristics right. and certain ways of behavior that don't. Mm-hmm. And they're even cross-cultural. Right. From one culture to another, there might be little differences and certain you know, idiosyncrasies. But because we are all human beings, we share a sort of culture of humanity. Right. All people, when they're happy, have a certain general way of expressing that. Again, the intensity might differ from person to, differ from person, to person. But these kinds of characteristics of dignity and sobriety and reverence, we know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. We know what that sounds like. You know, when my when my son speaks to me disrespectfully, and I say don't don't talk to me disrespectfully, I, I'm not necessarily talking about what he said to me. Right. I'm talking about his tone of voice. Well, right. music can do that too. Mm-hmm. Music can embody, That's you know, good. Titus two one, what accords with sound doctrine. Right. And you know, there are technical, musicological ways of talking about these sorts of things. But you don't have to know music. You don't have to know music theory. It's not about a C versus an E. Right. It's not about notes. It's about the whole package. We're talking about you know all of the music, the, the harmony, the melody, the rhythm, the performance style. All of it works together right. and can embody these sorts of um, characteristics or qualities or ways of expressing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I would just tell people, you know, listen to the music, listen to what's happening, and and you can ask honest questions about is is that reverent or is that irreverent? Right. Is that dignified or undignified? Uh, is that uh, is that expressing these sorts of you know is it mature or is it immature? Right. Is it expressing these sorts of things? And if we recognize in a covenant theology of worship that what we're trying to do is we're trying to disciple people to help them grow in their maturity through everything that happens in the corporate worship service, that includes the music that we use. And what I'm afraid about, and this this uh, uh, Calvin Johansson brings out this point in a book called Discipling Music Ministry. His whole argument mm. is that what we do in music ought to disciple people. He makes the point that we could, our theology could be maturing people, our right. preaching could be maturing right. people, everything about the service could be maturing people. Yep. But if the music is immature, yes. if it's just about a flashy, visceral response, right. then we're actually counteracting our goal of maturing and discipling the people in yeah. our congregations. I, I like that. There's man, there's so much of, of, of that, that 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 I love because a I'm experiencing it here at at church, and again. For me, I think the first part of it was jumping in with both feet yeah. and experiencing it and then having it explained on the back end, um, it, it being thoughtful, some, someone thinking through all of those pieces and then being able to explain to me what it was that, that I was experiencing. A couple of things that, that, that I want to I want to kind of as, as we begin to kind of pivot toward, toward the toward a close is people who are hearing this for the first time. This is shocking. 
Like it really is because, you know, I, I, they may come to an understanding of, like we talked about earlier, uh, they're reformed. And for most people, what that means is they've accepted, you know, uh, a monergistic soteriology, right? They've accepted, you know, doctrines of grace. Okay, now I'm there. And, and then that, that's, that's a mind-blowing step for most mm-hmm. people. And they feel like I've got it. And then they're exposed to preaching. Okay. And, and, you know, should, should I, should I be listening to these sermons that are about maybe a movie uh, or, or, or should I be listening to someone talk about uh, scripture and go line by line? And now they get that. And, and the last thing that always comes on the end of it is how do we thoughtfully process through what we're singing and how that connects and more times than not in the process of, of their spiritual development, it is the last thing. Yep. Uh, and so for, for them, for the most part, they feel, I, I've got everything else. Why, mm-hmm. did, why, mm-hmm. why come mess with my music? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why come mess with, with how we're singing or what we're singing? And that, that's the only aspect of, of maybe of what I'm experiencing that's, that can be an individualistic expression. Right. Um, two things I want you to, to, to address. And then I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about the, the biblical worship workshops. Yeah, uh, I want to talk about how how some of what what you guys t- talk about the the thing that I, the thing that I love about about them and I, and I don't want to tee this up too much because I want I want to back into it is that it's not anchored in Scott's subjective philosophical idea. Right, uh, it's anchored in what is what does the text of Scripture say that's going to be preached, and then how and then how do we shape and form right. our worship around what scripture says exactly. in that space. And yep. so, you know, whether, whether you, whether they like Scott or not, whether they think Scott's on or off, that's irrelevant right. to, we're going to anchor what scripture has to say and then teach uh, worship leaders how to, how to navigate that. And again, the, the primary worship leader, of course, is the pastor. Yep. Uh, and, and, and it's important that he's a part of that, right. but, but, but going, go, kind of going back, I, I, the thing I want you to address, how does this play itself out? I was talking with Justin Peters, who, um, who, uh, you know, we were, t- we were talking about a number of different things as it relates to worship and praise and music and, and the like. And we were talking about maybe different expressions, uh-huh. uh, maybe in a black context, yeah. this looks differently. Is there room for that? Yep. In a in a in a in a maybe a, a, a uh, you know an area where there's high high church uh, where folks are really kind of more 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 somber a little bit a little bit more a little bit disconnected from maybe the an emotive response maybe that looks differently kind of kind of talk yeah. us through that yeah good so uh, so yeah first of all when it comes to how things have changed throughout history or from different cultures and civilizations to civilizations. There is no like one right packaged eternal right. you know style of music or or way of worship. Again, the question is what is embodying reverence, sobriety, these sorts of things. That's good. Um, so that has changed certainly from you know the early church to the Middle Ages to the Reformation to today. And by the way, we're talking when you talk about the history of the church, we're talking about a lot of different cultures and and, and civilizations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking North Africa right. in the early church with Augustine and. And Ambrose, and then you know all, all, and then obviously up into you know, what we call today Europe, and then over in America. So you're talking about a lot of different cultural contexts. Mm-hmm. It certainly did change and look different in in some respects, but a they all universally described what it ought to be the same. It, it ought to be an expression and embodiment of reverence, sobriety, dignity, maturity. Yeah. Right. And yeah. they all universally said. You know, there's a kind of music that's, that doesn't do that, a kind of music that's actually more fitted for pagan worship where the goal is frenzied yeah. sort of orgiastic yeah. rituals, yep. Yep. 
which, you know, I want to be really careful when I say this, but I really mean this. The Pentecostal theology of worship is or does resemble more the pagan theology than a biblical theology. Now, in this now, re- now you just got us in trouble. Well, in yeah. this respect, <laughs> and, and we, we said this earlier, in pagan worship, I initiate the encounter with the deity. Right. I work myself up, usually through music, into a sort of frenzy, and now the deity is here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of similarities yeah, with Pentecostal, but let me say this too. There's also a lot of similarities with pagan worship in Roman Catholic worship. There's there's a lot of similarity. This 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 you want to talk about shocking people. I think Roman Catholic sacramental worship and modern Pentecostal charismatic worship are very similar. Interesting. Because they both it's it's what we do I got you. in the service yeah. to create an atmosphere. I'm tracking, yeah. And that atmosphere is the presence of God. Yep. So it might be contemporary music or yep. it might be smells and bells and, yep. and ceremony. Yep. Totally get it. Um so all that to say, the, the you know the the biblical theology of worship articulated by everyone from the early church on in the Reformation all said there's a kind of music that's suitable, that's reverent, that that embodies these things, and there's a kind of music that that's not, mm-hmm. and that that there's going to be differences over time. Music evolves. Mm-hmm. Going to be differences from culture to culture. Although the second point I was going to make on that issue is. I don't think we even ought to be thinking in terms of human culture when it comes to worship. Like there, we ought to be we ought to be nurturing and cultivating our own cultural expressions that flow out of our faith. It's not about it's not about looking at what's out here in the world and saying what can we use. I mean, we're going to do that sort of just inevitably because we're people of our culture. Mm-hmm. We're going to speak a certain language. We're going to dress a certain way, and yeah, our music is going to resemble the common music of the day. Mm-hmm. But don't start there. Start with Scripture. That's a great point. Let's start with Scripture and say, what is the biblical theology of worship? What does Christian maturity look like? Mm-hmm. And then let's just do that. Yeah. Even in our music. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yes, it's gonna. It might differ from you know from civilization to civilization, but there's gonna be similarities too. And you know, it's not about preference. I might I might look at a kind of music or a certain song, and I might say, I don't prefer that, but I get it. Mm-hmm. I get how that's that's reverent. Mm-hmm. I might not prefer it. But I get it, right? Right. right. Or that's a, that's a different culture than that's mine. Good. So there's certain idiosyncrasies about that culture that I just I'm not familiar with. Right. But I can still listen to that or watch it and go, okay. But I can see how that's reverent. That's great. It, it's a little that's foreign helpful. to me, yeah. but it's reverent. That's helpful. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's helpful. I, 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 when you were talking about that, I, I thought <laughs> about my my uh, again. Justin Peters is just here. I've got false teachers and all that stuff on my mind. Uh, I was in circles where where Benny Hand would come, and I, I've actually been in, in a number of the of, of those kind of expressions experiences where Benny Hand came to town. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Roberts University. That whole that whole yeah. environment. I, I went in even though I was Pentecostal. I, I went in as a skeptic. Like this guy, this guy's waving around coats right. at people, and they're falling out. Like how's this real? And, and so I went wanting to figure out how is this working. Uh-huh. And what I recognized is before he ever starts to wave a coat. You have had three hours exactly. of nonstop music mm-hmm. uh, that have that, that have gone from from highs to lows, and, and you're in an auditorium of thirty plus thousand people. That, by the way, was very carefully scripted. Absolutely, right? They're like, "Oh, you guys, you guys don't believe in spontaneity." They don't believe. No, they in don't. Spontaneity. No, no, no. It, it is, is carefully it crafted. Is carefully scripted. Absolutely, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's presented as if it's not. Right. But the reality is, it is very scripted. Mm-hmm. So after three hours of, of waiting, of high anticipation for, for the manifestation of the power of God to show up, 
Um, you, you're, you're, if, if you are not thinking, if you have disconnected your mind, you're lost in this wave of emotive states mm-hmm. where any suggestion that is given immediately impacts you. Yeah. And so I, I've been in that environment. Mm-hmm. So I totally get how that, how, how that can captivate someone yeah. and, and how it's, it's backwards from what we want to practice in a worship service. Right. Uh, what we want to do, we want to engage our mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to engage thoughtfully what we're saying uh, as we worship the, the, the triune God of the universe. Right. And so when we're talking about that, I, I want to kind of pivot, and that's an odd pivot from, from, uh, from you know, uh, not, not, I was going to say Costi here, not Costi, but, but, uh, but, Benny. but Benny, Hinn, <laughs> uh, to, to pivot from, from Benny Hinn to what we're wanting to do, even with, with our worship workshops. Yeah. Why, why are these workshops important? What, were you, what was your thought process around, around wanting to plan these and put these together yeah. and, yeah. and how, how they work out? I think you're exactly right in, in having it reversed, right? With, with a Pentecostal theology, the, the music comes first. It produces an atmosphere. Yes. That's the presence of God, right? Whereas in, in, in biblical theology, I mean, this is how Paul describes it in Ephesians 5.19, we are filled with the Spirit first. Well, how are we filled by the Spirit? Well, what's the parallel passage? Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Mm-hmm. So you start with the word. When the word is in you, the Spirit is in you. And then that's certainly going to produce emotion. Sure. Right? And then the music is a way to express the emotion that's been created by the Spirit through the word. Absolutely. It starts with the word. Absolutely. And that's what drives the worship workshops is the word is the foundation the word is the starting point you summarized it well earlier you know we we have a book of the bible in our worship workshops and the idea is let's imagine as if the sermon series of our church is titus or is second timothy we want to start with the passage that is going to be preached in this particular service and shape everything else about the service around that wow all within the gospel shape that I talked about earlier. So that remains consistent week to week. You know, revelation, confession, revelation, adoration, confession, you know, propitiation, the sermon, communion, etc. Um, but the, the songs that are sung, the hymn, the, the, uh, the prayers that are prayed, all of the other elements right. that are biblically prescribed, the content of those elements all serve the function of the gospel shape and, and uh controlled by and regulated by that passage of Scripture. Um, and so it's all about the passage of Scripture that's being read, the dialogue of worship. And so these, you know, you mentioned earlier, exactly right. It is the elders of the church who are the worship leaders. Right. It's not some musician right. that is the worship leader. Right. Now, if there happens to be an elder who is also a musician, like we have, we're blessed with here with Matt Sykes, yep. that's, you've got the best of both worlds, yeah. right? But you need a theologically astute, uh, God-called um, you know, uh, somebody who ha- actually has the qualifications of being an elder, right. who might also be Gifted. a good musician yeah. To, yeah. to do these sorts yeah. of things. But but these workshops are not for musicians. Right. These workshops are for pastors, right. from the main preaching pastor to maybe a worship and discipleship pastor, whatever. They're for pastors to think through these th- th- these sorts of things, so that again we can root our theology of worship in the Bible root the elements of our worship in the Bible, and then root the actual methodologies and practices of worship in the sufficient authoritative word of God. That go, I mean, it goes all the back, back to what I talked about earlier, where someone has embraced a, a reformed soteriology, maybe maybe a reformed approach to, to how they preach the word, 
this is kind of the last peg of that to, right. to say, okay, how do I take this expository preaching and, and make sure that every aspect of what we do uh, as we look at the word, examine the word is infused and in, in what people experience on a, on a given Sunday morning right. uh, on the Lord's Day. And so yeah. I, I think it's awesome that we do these. T- tell the folks again w- when our next uh, workshop actually is. Yeah, uh, our next one is in May. I don't have the, the exact dates in front of, front yeah. of me, but uh, uh, check, out, check out the website, g3min.org slash events. The workshop is there. We usually do about two a year, one in the one in the spring, one in the fall. Yep. Uh, they've we've done two so far. They've they've been very well attended yep. and a lot of a lot of uh, good appreciation because again we're we're really trying to help uh, reframe the whole issue of what we do in worship again by scripture. And so uh, and th- this you know back just wrap back to the article again. It's why I'm really writing to people who already have this reformed bent, right, right? Right. People who already, like you said, are trying to reform according to Scripture, who appreciate, you know, preaching that comes out of Scripture, yes. prayers that come out of yes. Scripture. Okay, the service comes out of Scripture, and then even our music yes. ought to be uh, coming out of Scripture itself. Yeah. And so, uh, so all of our workshops are sort of rooted in that as well. Yeah. Junction, Junction City, Kansas. That's a small place, by the way. I've been to Junction City. Uh, May 23rd and 24th. Uh, the biblical G3 biblical worship workshop. You'll want to get on and get registered for that. There probably won't be that many spots left. I think it's actually filling up pretty quickly. Uh, So you'll definitely want to get on May 23rd, 24th, um, Junction City, Kansas, and uh, the G3 biblical worship workshop. Definitely be a part of that. Any last words that you want to share as we wrap up this section? Yeah, no, I would just, you know, as we've said several times, a lot of these concepts are new for people. Mm. Uh, They, they, Kind of go across the grain for what they we're do. used to, yeah. And I would just encourage people don't don't just react. Oh, that's not what I've heard before. It's not what I've experienced. I'm just ignore it. Give yeah. it give it a chance. Recognize that nothing I'm saying is new. And even Sui Hong Lim and Lester Ruth would acknowledge that, mm-hmm. right? That they they it, it is a shift that has taken place. So you know, do a little reading, uh, do a little Bible study, and then, like you said, I mean, a lot of it sort of has to be caught. Yeah. And, and if you give it a chance, yeah. like if you come, you sit in a service, you're like, this is boring, forget it. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no hope. Yeah. If you give it a chance, I think what I know what you'll find is a far deeper, richer, more maturing, yeah. more discipling time, you know, a time of weekly worship than, yeah. than otherwise. It's yeah. not visceral. It's not flashy. It doesn't give you a high. But it actually follows the biblical model of what sanctification ought to look like. Yeah. Slow, progressive, deep growth. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's what yeah, it is. I, I, I can, like I said, I can attest to that, having come from the, just the, I, I, I call it uh, Pentecostalism on steroids, right? Yeah. Uh, Hyper charismania. And uh, I mean, I've, I've seen it all. I've sat through it all. I've, I've listened to it all. I've, I've watched the falling out. Uh, I mean, I could, I could tell you stories. Uh, I had an interview with, uh, with Justin Peters all about kind of my background in history. Yeah. Um, and, and I've come from that. My, my favorite music is, is black gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's, you know, that's the stuff that I kind of cut my teeth on. Uh, and, and, and I've, I've now been shaped by this now form of worship uh, that has really just absolutely ruined me for anything else. Uh, and what I mean by that, I mean that in, in, in the best way possible, right. which is I, for me to go somewhere else and, and, and not experience what I now experience on a given Sunday morning, it's a little bit of a letdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, man, I can't wait to get back home 
uh, to my home church uh, and, and, and be with my people and, and understand uh, kind of this experience. And so I, I'm going to encourage you to do a couple of things. One is for pastors, particularly to jump into the biblical worship workshop and see what this thing looks like. Uh, and then two, I'm going to encourage folks. Again, it's a very popular article to go back on and check out uh, the article that uh, that Scott wrote on this subject. Stop singing Hillsong, Bethel, Jesus Culture and Elevation. Not that I need to tell them to, to read that because they're already reading it a ton and passing it around. I encourage people to read the two follow up. I would agree because I, I really agree. sort of flesh things out more. And I again, looking at the stats, I know people read the first one. Yeah. Fewer read the second and third, but yeah. they really if, if you really are Wanting to understand the argument, at least, you've got to read the second and third, which are linked right there. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us for another edition of Honest Conversations and Black and White with Scott and Virgil.